Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. The NBA Finals are in the books, and our staff is here to guide you through the NBA draft and free agency with daily podcasts and articles on TheRinger.com. Also, be sure to check out Kevin O'Connor, Danny Chow, and John Gonzalez on Thursday, June 20th for our live NBA draft show on Twitter for instant reactions on every pick. And as always, be sure to listen to The Ringer NBA Show for all of your off-season coverage. You can listen on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yo, yo, yo! Welcome to Ringer FC, Women's World Cup Edition. I'm your host, East Coast Bureau Chief of the Ringer, Donnie Kwok. In studio with me today is Andrew Helms, at Andrew underscore Helms. He's the producer of Backpass, a 30 for 30 podcast about the rise and fall of the Women's United Soccer Association. He's also a Ringer contributor who most recently profiled the U.S. midfielder, Lindsey Horan, for us. Welcome, Andrew. Thanks for joining us. You noticed Lindsey Horan? I did. Scored third minute. I did. We we uh we called it. We republished it or retweeted it, I guess, uh, after she scored. So good call on that. Uh, later on, we'll bring in Caitlin Murray, who is the author of The National Team, The Inside Story of the Women Who Changed Soccer, a recently published book. She'll be joining us live from France. Actually, she was at the USA-Sweden match. But first, let's start with the round of 16, which is set now, finally, after the group stage. U.S. just beat Sweden today 2-0. They, were three, they won all three matches in Group F, secured the top spot. They'll be playing Spain in the round of 16 on Monday at noon Eastern. And assuming they win, maybe we shouldn't assume, but assuming they do win, they'll be heavily favored. They will get the winner of France-Brazil. So that France-USA quarterfinal, which everyone is kind of fearing, is looming. But let's talk about today, first of all. Uh, it was a 2-0 win against Sweden. It was, it was the most difficult match of that group. Obviously, they uh, destroyed Thailand and, and didn't really sweat against Chile. Uh, what did you make of the match today? I mean, they came out and scored early, which is, is what they wanted to do. Right. I guess it's every match now they've scored in the first 10, 15 minutes. Yeah, I think the first 15 minutes in all, in all three matches. Yeah. Scored early. You know, they didn't really concede a lot at the back. Um, obviously, I think they would have maybe liked to have created a few more chances, but, you know... They were already secure with passage into the knockout rounds in this game. No one got hurt. Uh, they scored some goals. One uh, kept clean sheets through all three matches in the in the group stage. I yeah. think everyone on the around the U.S. team is pretty happy with that performance. It's interesting you're talking about clean sheets because uh, I guess it's not really a question mark. I can say it's just a mystery to me whether Alyssa Nair is actually good or not, the U.S. keeper, because she's hardly been tested. I mean, I guess she, you know, had there were a couple she shots like on target today. One shot today, yeah. and like maybe she could have caught it, but yeah, the the. It, there were a few moments where they looked a little shaky in the back, but it's kind of like their best offense or their best defense has been their offense at right. this point. Like the the intensity with which they've played, I think no other team in the tournament has been able to match it. Right. Just physically, you can see uh, that a lot of the the players on the U.S. women's team, you know, especially when they matched up against you know Thailand, right. You know, just strength wise, speed wise, that they're playing with a with a will and a, a determination to kind of swarm. It's a little, I was thinking as I watched the game today, like a little heavy metal football. <laughs> Word to Jurgen Klopp. You mentioned no injuries. I, I didn't, I was kind of watching with the sound half off, half off, half on, half off. Uh, it, it seemed like she took a knock a little bit somewhere midway through the first half and she was subject. Alex Morgan. Alex Morgan. Yeah. I mean, I think, 
I think I heard them saying that that was planned for her to only play a half, but she seemed like a little bit, I don't know, like uh, slow. She didn't have a great. She didn't have a great game. Yeah. Um, and uh, Julie Ertz also was kept out. The defensive that was like a precautionary. Kept out, kept out as a precautionary. I think. I think Alex didn't have her greatest game. Megan Rapinoe didn't have her greatest game. Um, but it was important to get them minutes and get them back on the field after sitting out the the Chile game. I'm sure that it was all planned. But yeah. Well, everybody was kind of pointing at this. Sweden match as sort of the first test, I guess, for the team. Are you able to glean anything from the Thailand match, the Chile match, even the Sweden match now? I mean, like you said, three clean sheets haven't really been tested. Would you say that the U.S. is heading into the knockout round playing their best soccer? Or are there some false positives here because of the quality of the competition or lack thereof? I think I think they're probably, I think they'd probably think they've not yet hit their peak. Um you know, you you see a few moments. the The midfield I th- today looked probably best. Uh, Rose Lavelle, in particular, who her movement, her vision. Uh, Lindsay Horan, obviously, but also Samantha Mewis in midfield. Those three, which is kind of a group of younger players of that rising generation, really stood out to me today. And Tobin Heath had flashes. Uh, Megan Rapinoe had flashes. But in terms of just like the continuity of their passing, their movement, there were always a few. Chan- there were a few times where I was like. The open pass is right there on the outside if you can just see it. And like right. they wouldn't they wouldn't be able to get the ball out there. So I think this was definitely a game of like 80%. You got what you needed, but uh hopefully against Spain and and then against France, which I know a lot of people are, you know, FIFA, why can't you rig it? Right. <laughs> You've rigged everything else. Why'd you why are these two teams on the the two best teams on the same side of that bracket? But I was actually posing this to some of my colleagues today that if there were ever to be, I mean, because as you're, as we're talking about here, U.S. and France, which are the two favorites, are slated to meet in the quarterfinal should they win their round of 16 matches. Would any international soccer tournament potentially, because the way they work, the World Cups and Euros, et cetera, is like it's predetermined what the knockout round matches will be based on group. Yeah, you what get if drawn we, into random, yeah. Yeah, but what if it were based on how your group performance, group stage performance, and it was kind of like a seeding, like a reseeding, I guess you could say. Based on your goal differential in the group <laughs> stage. <laughs> the U.S. is at the top, right? Actually, since we haven't recorded at all uh, since the World Cup started, what did you make of Celebration Gate? Uh, the U.S. women being criticized, even called a disgrace, I guess, by Canadian commentators for their over-exuberant celebrations for the 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th, and 13th goals against Thailand? Who cares? Yeah, who cares? Celebrate, yeah. right? You know, you're in a World Cup. And and I think they've been that has been kind of borne out. You know, a lot of the Thai players after that game came out and said, I'm glad they didn't ease up. You know, is it less disrespectful from the 50th minute to just play keep away? Yeah. And not really take that team seriously? You know, maybe on the 14th goal, you don't have to, or the 12th goal, do you have to celebrate as, as, as hard as you did? Yeah, but also a few of those players that were scoring their first ever World Cup goal. You yeah. know, is, who's going who's gonna to begrudge Mallory Pugh for, for having a big, a big goal celebration. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, it's got to be a huge, there's a ton of, I think the other piece of it is like, there's a ton of pressure on this U.S. team. I mean, they sued their employer for equal pay ahead of the World Cup, you know, and have staked their, in their lawsuit, they're like, look, we win tournaments and get paid less. You yeah. know, they put a lot of pressure on themselves to perform. And I imagine that coming into a World Cup and then having the ability to just show that you are the dominant team felt really good for those players. Like a, you know, you could kind of see a release on on a lot of their parts. During yeah, that game. it's cathartic, and then it's also, as you're saying, it's to prove a point. Um, it's interesting because the USA being in Group F, where you know the last round of games, and they just finished 
the last group to finish uh, group stage play today. It seemed like that celebration gate was really kind of, I mean, maybe obviously we live in the USA, sort of the first viral or talking point moment of the World Cup up to that point, the the last round of the first round of group stage matches. But since then, it seems like it's really picked up and there's been a lot of, well, for, let's just uh, kind of summarize what happened in, in the group stage. Basically, all of the favorites advanced. I mean, I, I don't think you could really say that there were any surprises in the, in the round of 16 now. No, I mean, the other piece of it is uh, the this the current iteration of the tournament, right? Um, it's a pretty forgiving, right? You know? 16 of 24. Advanced. So right. it's like, there's not a massive culling of of talent, you know? I think one of the, the smarter pieces of commentary I heard it was from Kim McCauley, who, who writes for SB Nation, and she was making the point that like, you know, the big problem here is not that, you know, credit to Thailand, but the reason Thailand's in the Women's World Cup is because there are a lot of big dominant soccer powers in the men's game, Belgium, Mexico, et cetera, who don't invest money in women's football. Right. And and that's the reason that, you know, you have some of these smaller countries that the that what this World Cup has really revealed is the countries that are investing, France, Spain, who we're gonna play in the in the in the round of sixteen, has really put a lot of money into the game. And that we're seeing the rise of a lot of countries who are who are closing the gap on the US, which is great. But hopefully this puts pressure on others. You know, there are a lot of traditional soccer powers. Croatia, for instance, you know, World Cup semifinalist last year, don't put a lot of resources into the women's game. And hopefully that will that will change in the years to come and that we can have, you know, obviously we want World Cup, every World Cup game to be super competitive. But right now the there is an inequity in in women's soccer and the women's players in the in the US are yeah, some of the best treated it, in the world. It's surprising know? and startling to, you know, you mentioned some of these football superpowers like Argentina who obviously made the tournament but didn't advance and Chile who also didn't advance. And those teams had to like literally fight their federations, totally. right? Yeah. You know, like go to go to war in ways that the US women are like are doing as well, but have and the US women have been advising these countries about how to take on your federation and get what you need. Yeah. I mean it's still very much a fight in progress. And uh, you know, one can only imagine how much bigger and better the World Cup will be uh, yeah. in future tournaments as uh, these federations pay more heed and take women's football more seriously. Um, of what team other than the U.S. impressed you the most in the, in, the, in the group stage? Was it France? I mean, France came out like gangbusters against Korea opening match. It was four nil, and everybody kind of was already you know coronating them. And yeah, it was you know slightly less impressive in their subsequent matches. But how, how have you felt about the host country, France? after that huge start, really struggled um, against Nigeria. They needed basically of the help of VAR, which I think we're going to get to a little bit later, the yeah. VAR gate. Um, uh, <laughs> they, they needed VAR against Norway too. Yeah, then, and so that they haven't been this, this dominant team that you'd expect. The same, you know, the favorites have advanced. I actually watched the the Netherlands-Canada game and the Netherlands, who are the current European champions, looked really good. Yeah, seemed to um, be the dark horse. Dark horse, yeah. I, Australia, who we all kind of thought, you know, were were a sleeper coming into this tournament, um, struggled a bit. Obviously, had that had that massive comeback against Brazil, and then Sam Kerr went off, and we may talk about her a little bit later. Yeah, but yeah, I, I think coming back to France, they they looked great in their first game, but there's definitely you know haven't haven't been the dominant team that we would have expected. But I think everything changes in the knockout rounds, and so it'll be really interesting to see how much the the top teams really find find a higher gear. Uh, beyond the U.S. and France, and you mentioned the Dutch, Germany, England, you know, like... Italy, too, has looked pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, are there 
Do you see any of these teams, though, being able to topple either U.S. or France, I guess is the question. It's a good question. I think um, maybe, maybe Netherlands, yeah. England's looked okay. I think I think it just uh, it'll be really interesting to see how they you know the U.S. has struggled previously. They didn't win the kind of turn up tune up tournament. She believes right. England was the winner of that. Mm-hmm. So these teams definitely on their day can go head to head against the United States and take them. But if the U.S. is playing with the intensity and and energy that they brought to the these World Cup games, I haven't seen a team with that level of fury. You know, that's always the word I keep popping into my head when I see like Kelly O'Hara clattering into another player in the whatever 60th minute of a game that they've already advanced from. It's like that there's just like a, there's a a hunger on this team that I haven't seen elsewhere. And I I hope I'm not getting too like gritty in my (laughs) analysis, but that's, that's the been the kind of dominant thing I've seen from the U S team. So I don't know. I'd say right now it's, it's, it it would be, if you had to pick the U S or the field, I'd take the U S right. I mean, and for France, too, as the host country, you know, it's not like their passage to the quarterfinals is assured. They're playing Brazil, a team of veterans and some exciting new young talent. And, you know, as a host country, you get a little nervy, little, you know, when, when you're playing at home and, and you're expected you to be win. nervy going up. I mean, let's if we presume, I was at an event that the Fox team was at. There was like the, all the Fox broadcasters. And the, everyone was super upset that basically the, the quarterfinals were going to most likely be USA-France. Yeah. And they were like, this is going to be the best game of the tournament. How bad is it going to be? Either either the US gets knocked out and no one here cares, or you lose the host country. And and then the atmosphere in the stadiums is is lowered. You know, you're, you kind of want those two teams to be in it till the end. Yeah. Yeah, it's calamitous. It's especially calamitous for everybody if the USA uh, don't make it to the final. It's bad for the network. It's bad for the host country even. If there was a story in the Times today about how... they made the World Cup though. <laughs> true, true, true. So uh, outside of the teams that advanced uh, just from the group stage, we're going to get into VAR in a second, but has there been any sort of standout performance? Well, actually, we should talk about um, standout games because uh, the Scotland... Arge- and maybe this will be our segue into VAR because uh, the Scotland-Argentina match from yesterday was probably... I was telling my colleagues yesterday that that match, which ended in a 3-3 draw, uh, Scotland were up 3-0, then Argentina clawed their way back and and tied at 3-3. Neither team advanced to the round of 16, but the match had some serious Ajax Spurs vibes from the Champions League Mm -hmm. in which one team seemed totally done and improbably came back. And I mean, the difference is in the Spurs-Ajax game, Spurs won and advanced. And in this match, there was no winner, literally no winner because... Not only did they draw, but now their team made it to the round of 16. Right. But this was a match where VAR reared its ugly head, I guess you could say again. And VAR has been a major talking point in this tournament. Um, a lot of instances in the last uh, round of games, or last couple of rounds of games. Uh, you mentioned the France-Nigeria. Um, that was devastating it, to watch for it, that keeper. You yeah, know? Yeah. It's like Nigeria had played such a good game, had held France, and then, you know, you concede a penalty, okay, and then to have the, you know, she was barely like an inch off of her line, right? Yeah. And to have that called back was just, you know, if, if the if the point of VAR is to kind of increase fairness, that just felt like, you know, VAR was handing down this like cosmic injustice on a Nigeria team that had worked really hard and performed well. Right. So it, it has led to all these sort of philosophical discussions about VAR, even in this very studio uh, we've talked about in and out, in or out on VAR, but I guess VAR has been a bigger issue because in the, in this in this tournament because it's the first time 
uh, that we've seen in international tournament with, with VAR affecting these penalty decisions. Yeah. So essentially, I'm reading from an article here in uh, 442. But in March, IFAB, the Referees Association, published a new tranche of rules to be introduced on June 1, and which are already in use at this World Cup, the Women's World Cup. Keepers must keep one foot on or in line with the goal line. They, quote unquote, must not be moving, touching the crossbar or stood behind the line. So basically, the goalkeeper during the taking of a penalty kick has to have one foot on the line before the ball is struck or as the ball is struck. And we've seen now a handful of times where the keepers had a foot an inch off the line or moved a split second early. We saw it in the Scotland-Argentina match where uh, the Scotland keeper stopped the penalty, stopped the follow-up. Right. It went to VAR. Yeah. And it was a re-kick. Uh, the Argentinian player scored the re-kick. And it again uh, made VAR an issue. So, you know, VAR obviously is uh, something that, you know, we'll keep debating. But as you said, it's kind of like a, with the video assistance, it's like these types of, situations where if it, whether it's a handball or a foot on the line it's like yeah. we're striving here for 100% accuracy I guess and if you go by the letter of the law maybe these are infractions but mm-hmm. uh, it kind of upsets the I can't say it, it 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 I can't say it upsets the drama because maybe it does even add more drama and tension but it does kind of feel unjust when teams yeah. lose uh, or lose points or, or lose altogether because of it I think I think it does in it can amplify the drama sometimes in like <laughs> in pretty negative ways. Yeah, um, I, I have to admit the Scotland Argentina it was yeah, pretty dramatic. It was pretty dramatic when yeah. they went to VAR and then she had to re kick it. I mean, it's like the same kicker who just missed and is she going to make it now? But but just like the it felt to me that the VAR check today on like Tobin Heath's goal right totally just sucked the energy out of the rest of that game. It did. Like, did for, you think that actually that that was a good goal? I I, th- I from where I thought you know Carly Lloyd definitely impacted the way the defender defended that and having started in an offside position I thought I would have thought that would have been reversed right reversed yeah so Bar even with it wrong does- again you can't you can't <laughs> you can't get it I was actually I was texting with uh dearly departed XG god Rhino Hanlon about this yeah and I was kind of wondering like he's out on VAR totally I've been he's reading out his on Twitter yeah. yeah and I was like is there an argument and I was kind of making this point that like we're seeing in this World Cup, the one of the bigger narratives is like the inequality in the women's game. You know, Thailand, United States, that New York Times uh, study where they interviewed all these women's footballers and were like, how much money do you make? And at the top end, you had women's players on the U.S. team making $350,000 a year, right? right? At the bottom end, you had players on the Thai team making nothing a year, right? right. Players making hundreds of dollars a year playing a soccer, the basically semi-pros, right? And they're competing now on ele- what is allegedly the same playing field in the World Cup. Um, obviously, it's not a level playing field, right? And VAR is this thing that's supposed to like equalize the playing field. Right. And I was asking Ryan, I was like, does Ryan, as he's like, does all of his number crunching and statistics about soccer, I was like, do you think that there's an advantage maybe for better teams in having VAR? Because if you have the ball more, you're going to get more chances in around the penalty box. You get more chances for like a whatever freaky handball. And his point was like, there's not enough data on it yet. But it seems like that would be the, maybe the case. So I'm, I think in some ways it's this weird... So you think VAR, potentially the implementation of VAR favors the, the bigger, better, teams, better teams, right? Like, it's interesting because like, like in, the Prem, in the Premier League, like Neil Warnock, Cardiff City, and, and Rafa Benitez have often in the past year, you know, 
VAR is coming to the premiership next year, mm-hmm. but have called for VAR thinking really? that it would even it. Or, you know, like, because a handball is a handball is a, a handball, handball, I guess. Yeah. But it's also whether or not the ref goes to VAR, I guess. It's right, right. some discretion in there, too. So. But just like if you're de- like the Nigeria team, you know, defend, 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 scrap, scrap, scrap. But like, then you get a VAR call going against you and then they get the penalty and then they get to take it again because yeah. of VAR. Yeah. Someone showed me a photo of the 99 Women's World Cup where Brian Scurry saved it and she was like, like two feet off her line. Yeah. You know, it's like, I don't know. Is, is this one of those things, though, uh, I've heard... Uh, brought up where it's less about people's beef with VAR and more with the rules of soccer. Yeah, that like the rules of soccer are arbitrary and arcane and like, you know. Because one could argue that the referee, the North Korean referee, I should say, uh, of the Argentina-Scotland match got all the calls right. Sure. Based on the the laws of the game. The letter of the law. But the laws are these kind of like nebulous, you know. Yeah things that are that are hard to determine like where arm if it's in like an active position you know yeah i guess i i don't know if this is a hot take or a lukewarm take or a tepid take but i i I think that i don't i don't mind them being persnickety about keepers staying with a foot on the line sure um and i think in that argentina scotland match the referee specifically told the keeper before the penalty kick right make sure you keep your foot on the line and she didn't it was you know, a fraction of an inch off right, of it. Right. But I guess, you know, uh, I think my biggest issue with VAR, and this came up a lot uh, after the Argentina-Scotland match, um, and we saw it some in the 2018 World Cup too, uh, which was kind of like the introduction of VAR mm-hmm. on, a, on an international scale. Um, 538 actually did a story about uh, the allotage of stoppage time. Sure. And, and how it was very inaccurate. Right. And that's people, actually casual fans' number one beef about soccer. Right. Other than the diving is like, there's no clock. Like, I don't right, have to understand right, right. how the clock works. So basically, in the Argentina-Scotland match, that VAR decision we're talking about took about 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah. And yet... There wasn't 10 minutes of stoppage time. Yeah, well, there's four right, minutes of right, stoppage right. time. 94 on the dot, the referee blew the whistle. Both teams were fucked at that point. So they were yeah. looking at the referee like, what the hell? You know, so... I don't know. It's like, for me, I'm like... Use it on goal line, like Hawkeye, whatever. Did the ball actually cross the line? Right. You know, can we have a robot basically monitor offsides? That doesn't seem like beyond technology that we have. But just the, the for me, soccer, it's fun, right? Yeah. It's back and forth. It's end to end. The game doesn't stop. And to have these lulls for VAR breaks to check these like arcane, you know, <laughs> it, it just, it's like, was it, was it a foot or, or an inch off the line? It's like, I don't really care. Yeah, if just it was wait until we the have line. a shootout in the knockout yeah, round. Yeah. It's going to be a fucking oh my nightmare. God. Right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, we're on team fun here at the ringer, celebrate all your goals and don't interrupt <laughs> the game for VAR and, and let the best team win and the rules, you know, whatever. Do you think it's kind of a, it, it's been, it, for you personally, has it taken away at all your enjoyment of the tournament or the fact that there has been so much discussion of VAR? Because in a way it does for me, but I also enjoy debating it. And it kind of <laughs> makes me more interested in women's football too, because mm. it's like there's all these talking points now coming out of every match. And I feel invested in them because it's controversial. I don't know. A little bit. I I don't know. I, I think the bigger pieces that's frustrating is that we're at a, the biggest tournament and a lot of players only chance to play in this giant tournament. And we're using the women as guinea pigs to test VAR. Yeah. Right. Like 
that should not be the case. It's one thing, like, why are we seeing all these goalkeeper infractions? It's because they've never played with this rule before. You know, goalies are off their line all the time. Yeah, I saw that brought kicks. up. Like, why introduce this goalkeeper thing in the right, fucking in, World, in a World Cup? Cup yeah. You know, like, do it that, for the She Believes Cup or yeah, something, you know? But it's like, it's this consistent thing from FIFA. We're going to test turf in a World Cup on the Women's World Cup. We're going to test VAR in a World Cup on a Women's World Cup. Because yeah. God forbid we have the men have to suffer well, through, you Interestingly, know. I saw a tweet today and I, I didn't really fact check it. But uh, I think actually, B, I think BBC or Sky might have been reporting it that the Premier League is implementing VAR next season, but announced that they will not yes, I saw have that. this goalkeeper rule for pe- right. penalties. Right, which is basically like an acknowledgement that They've this learned. Not they've, learned work. they've learned from this and realized that it's not going to work, right? Yeah. But there's no reason why these women like it should be a friendly friendly games that don't matter should be the place we test this stuff out. This stuff should not be tested in you know a lot of these players. You get one shot to play in a World Cup, and you got to really feel for the ones who had games impacted by rule changes that they weren't able to accurately and effectively prepare for. Yeah, well said. All right, uh, Caitlin's gonna, uh, set to join us in a minute. Let me. I guess we should just quickly go over these round of 16 matches while we have time. Uh, so Saturday, it's Norway and Australia, Germany and Nigeria. Um, anything to say about those two matchups? We talked about Australia, Sam Kerr. I think, I think Australia's the team that was kind of a dark horse coming in and hasn't, aside from like, their Herculean comeback hasn't looked consistently good. So that that's a game and a team that I think could be really dangerous. They probably have the best attacking player in the world in Sam Kerr. I mean, watching that game the other day where she was like, you know. Tim Cahill. Tim Cahill-esque, right? Just like five foot five, but somehow winning every single header in the box. So I'm I'm pretty excited to see if Australia can kind of turn it on in the knockout rounds and be the team we kind of hope they would be. Yeah, every time I, I've been watching Norway, I've, it always is in the back of my mind. Hey, your best player is not even playing. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because Ada Hegerberg, of course, mm-hmm. is uh, sitting out the World Cup. What What exactly is the reason that she? It's. Can you uh, talk a little yeah, bit about that? Yeah. So she is basically in a in a dispute with the Norwegian Football Federation, and believed that they weren't treating her equitably and paying her fairly, and that playing for Norway was making her worse for her club team Lyon, with mm-hmm. the best women's team in the world. So she said no unless if you're not going to treat me fairly and treat me the way I think I deserve to be treated I'm not going to play for you yeah. so you know you kind of got to respect the stand for what she thinks she deserves and and what and and it's this other kind of like growing shift we talked about in the Lindsay Horan article of like women's players as the women's club game grows women being able to derive security right. not from their national team but from their club team and she's like the biggest example of that so it's not the Ewing theory it's the Hegerberg theory yeah possibly yeah uh, Germany, Nigeria, I guess most would expect Germany to advance there. Nigeria just... But another favorite that hasn't done too well, Germany, it, yeah. you know? So it's it's been a weird World Cup in that the, the top teams have have advanced but not looked super convincing doing it. Sunday's looking pretty tasty here. England and Cameroon. Cameroon just made it through the skin of their teeth today. Great goal at yeah, the death. right. Um, and England, some people had them really as a dark horse... For sure. Contender, champion contender uh, heading into the World Cup. So It's uh, the fruit of the FA's investment. Yeah. For the first time we have fully, it's crazy to think, but the the, the FAWSL, the Women's Soccer League, Super League in in England, only fully professionalized last year. Yeah. And and just what United and these teams are just starting. United just started. Yeah. So, you know, 
it's going to be fascinating to see how much, you know, now that you have the financial resources of Man City and, and Man United and Spurs and Arsenal and Chelsea. Some, all, the, some NWSL poaching yeah, could happen. Yeah, I yeah. think that's definitely in the cards in the years to come. Yeah. Um, and then France-Brazil, we mentioned, is the other on Sunday. Uh, Monday, Spain and the United States. Like, what would it take for you? It would, it would probably, I mean, I don't know famous last words here, but it, it would take a calamity, right? For, I mean, it would take a catastrophe, I guess, for U.S. to yeah. lose to Spain. I mean, but it wasn't that long ago. Remember the, it was the quarterfinal game against Sweden in 2016 at the Olympics. We all know it today for being the game where Hope Solo said that the Swedes were cowards, cowards, cowards which is like a normal thing for a man to say, but because Hope Solo said it, everyone freaked out. Um, <laughs> Love Hope Solo. Yeah, yeah, she tells it like it is. And so the U.S., you know, they were able to break down the bunker of Thailand pretty effectively. You know, they got through the bunker of of Chile in their second game. What's going to happen if they face, you know, a, a Spain team that really sits back and tries to hit them on the counter? Are they going to be able to to find those final balls through a through a through a team that's really not trying to go toe to toe with them? Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see. Sweden and Canada uh, is the other one on Monday. Uh, I was very unimpressed by Sweden today. I know they were kind of probably playing, not getting out of second gear. The Canada, the Christine Sinclair goal was beautiful. I didn't saw see that. it. Yeah. So I guess she's too short now of the record? Of Abby Wambach's record, yeah. For all-time leading international scorer. Yeah, I was kind of low-key hoping that Sweden won the group so that U.S. and Canada would match up because it's always fun when U.S. and Canada play. I mean, Canada's so so stat- mad at us still. Yeah. They were the ones who were like going in on the celebrations. So. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. A disgrace. Disgrace. And then uh, Show, showy Americans. Finally, on Tuesday, Italy and China is one, Netherlands and Japan the other. So Europe, Asia for each matchup. I mean, I, looking at the, I mean, the the Japanese have kind of disappointed a little bit in for this sure. tournament. I mean, on paper, this Dutch Japan match looks like a kind of a marquee matchup. I'd but, say so, yeah. But the way Japan's been playing, you think that uh, the Dutch would advance, right? Yeah, that's. I think you'd put money on the Dutch going into this one, but it wasn't that long ago, right? Japan won the 2011 Women's World Cup, I want to say. Yeah. yeah. So they won in 2011. They're historically one of the, the better teams, really technical, really s- smart with the ball. Haven't shown that as much in this tournament. It's a younger team. I guess phase- they were kind of also in like the group of death. Yeah. There was one. Yeah, but definitely phasing in some 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 new younger players into their team. Whereas, you know, I think you could probably argue that the Netherlands have... You know, maybe outside of the U.S., the top three attackers. Yeah. You know, Leaky Mertens for Barcelona. So, I don't know. I'd take I'd take the Netherlands in that one. Yeah. All right, cool. On that note, we're going to take a break here. When we come back, we'll be joined by Caitlin Murray. What if you had your own personal recruiter to help you find a better job? Now, ZipRecruiter's technology can do that for you. Just download the ZipRecruiter job search app, let it know what kind of jobs you're interested in, and its technology starts doing the work. The ZipRecruiter app finds jobs you'll like and puts your profile in front of employers who may be looking for someone like you. If an employer likes your profile, ZipRecruiter lets you know. So if you're interested in the job, you can apply. No wonder ZipRecruiter is the number one rated job search app. Ringer FC listeners should download the free ZipRecruiter job search app today and let the power of technology work for you. Don't wait. The sooner you download the free ZipRecruiter job search app, the sooner it can help you find a better job. And we're back and happy to welcome to the podcast Ringer FC, Caitlin Murray, who is out in France covering the tournament 
for The Guardian. She's also the author of the recently published book, The National Team, The Inside Story of the Women Who Changed Soccer, which, Caitlin, I don't know if you know this, five stars on Amazon, Universal Five. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty exciting. I've gotten some pretty good response to the book, so that has definitely been exciting. Uh, how has your tournament experience been thus far? I know you just watched the USA-Sweden match. Yeah, I'm literally sitting in uh, the stadium looking at the field right now as they're mowing the grass. The game just ended about an hour ago. Um, It's been fun. I mean, if you've been watching the U.S., uh, the mood around the team is festive. They're having fun. They're scoring tons of goals. (laughs) There's a lot of American fans out here. There's just a really good feeling. Um, Traveling from city to city is, you know, that's a different story uh, on my end and, you know, doing all the work, but just covering the team. I mean, I think this is the team that is having the most fun right now in this World Cup. So it's definitely enjoyable being able to talk to them and see their games and kind of experience it with them. Yeah, we were talking earlier, Andrew and I, uh, about, I don't know if you saw this article in the New York Times by Andrew Kerr about the USWNT in France and how they're the biggest draw and the biggest party and have the most supporters. It sounds like that's based on your experience, what you've been seeing as well. Yeah, it is surprising to see people who are here for the Americans or wearing American gear speaking French. I think that uh, (laughs) the locals are excited to welcome the Americans. Um, and yeah, I mean, they're the number one team in the world, right? So they've they've earned that sort of reception. Yeah, it's kind of how like everybody around the world loves the Warriors. I guess maybe it's the Raptors now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, people kind of want to, you know, associate themselves with excellence. Everyone yeah. loves a winner. Yeah, everybody loves a winner. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious. You're, you're, you're around the team and you said it's kind of a festive atmosphere. Is there a player or, or you know, speaking to Jill Ellis, kind of how does that, how are you finding that uh, manifesting itself? I think it's the confidence that we see. I mean, we as journalists in the media, we are always looking for the angle. What's what's the storyline? What's the other thing we can talk about? And we've asked a lot of questions about Alyssa Nair. She hasn't been tested in a big tournament like this. We've asked about the defense. You know, when they've faced a top 10 team this year, four times out of five, They conceded multiple goals. So is this defense ready? We've been asking them. And then even when they put in a dominant performance like they did against Thailand and they dropped 13 goals on Thailand, then the question is, should you have been scoring? Was that rubbing your success in the other team's (laughs) face? So there's been a lot of questions, but the team has really taken it in stride. And they've been steadfast that they feel confident. They feel good about what they're doing. They use the term bubble a lot to mean they are not listening to what is being said on social media or what we're writing about them. Um, So they've just sort of blocked it out. And I think we see on the field that they have total belief in what they're doing and how they're playing. And they look really good. I think it's hard to argue with their form through the first three games so far. Yeah. One of the kind of talking points going into the World Cup was you know, the, the the women sued U.S. soccer for gender discrimination a few months before the World Cup. And was that going to be a distraction? Um, it clearly doesn't seem like it is. And I, and I think having read your book, The National Team, which is fantastic, and everyone should go buy it on Amazon and give it more five stars. Um, <laughs> you make clear in your book that this is a decades long fight, right? This is not this is not the first time the women didn't just wake up on a whim and say, we're going to sue U.S. soccer. Can you kind of characterize like 
what is the re- what's at stake in the conflict? What are what is really being fought over, and 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 why why is that? Um, yeah, and what's kind of the history of that that battle? Yeah, I mean, it's not new. I mean, the team has been getting into these back and forth with the Federation since the 90s, and they've continued to be dominant through all those years. Um, I, I talk, I mean, that's a big part of the book is sort of what they've been doing behind the scenes, not just in the locker rooms, but in the boardrooms, in pushing the needle a little bit higher in terms of their treatment and respect. And I think that's really what this current lawsuit comes down to, because I think, you know, people talk about equal pay, and that's sort of a catchy term. Equal pay isn't really simple. It's a little bit complicated because the men and the women have different compensation structures that they each negotiated for. But there are really simple components of the lawsuit, things like the men getting charter flights while the women have not, the men playing on natural grass games while the women have had to play on artificial turf. I think the lawsuit is more about being heard and being treated more like a partner with U.S. soccer, being treated like a team that deserves respect and sort of um, maybe proactive thinking, kind of reassessing why have things been done a certain way and should they be done differently? Um, It's been boiled down to equal pay, but I don't actually think it's that simple or even maybe the main thing that we should expect the team is going to take away from this lawsuit. Yeah, I think I actually read your LA Times op-ed, which is another thing. Caitlin's very prolific. And kind of the, one of the things I mean, you... I, listeners should know that she literally just filed a gamer, gamer for the USA-Sweden match before getting yes. on the phone with us. So. <laughs> and when I am done with this, I have to write my analysis for tomorrow's paper. So <laughs> look for that. Oh, and it's, and it's also... What time is it there? It's like midnight, 12.30? 12.42 a.m. to be exact. Oh, man. Well, you can have a big glass of wine. I was, and, uh, I was thinking. Hopefully, I was about to say. I hope you have a glass of red wine. If shoot. Yeah. So it's France. We've had a lot. <laughs> in your in your op ed, you kind of said one of the line that jumped out to me was like the women have had to fight for what the men got just because they are men. Yeah, I mean, part of the point that I was making uh, in that op ed is you know U.S. soccer talks a lot about the different revenues between the teams. And it should be noted, the women, their games have been bringing in more revenue than the men's games for the last three years. U.S. soccer would like to point to other things that are included in revenue for the men, things like appearance fees to go play other teams around the world, things like hosting Copa America in 2016, which brought in $50 million for the federation. But the difference is, Those are benefits, appearance fees and hosting tournaments like that. Those are benefits of the infrastructure that exists around men's soccer. That infrastructure just doesn't exist around women's soccer. I mean, the sport was banned for women to play in Brazil until 1979. It was banned in England. I mean, it was banned around the world until relatively recently. Uh, I think it was 1971 it was banned until in England. So... There are differences in revenue. The men certainly have a higher capacity to bring in revenue. How much of that has anything to do with what the teams are doing and how much should the women be penalized for not being able to uh, capture revenue that just doesn't exist on the women's side? Another part of your book that that stood out to me, and and we're hearing her a lot this tournament, even though she's not playing as as a BBC commentator as Hope Solo, 
And mm-hmm. she's obviously no longer a part of the of the U.S. women's national team after, you know, in 2016, I think we talked about this a little bit earlier, she called the Swedish team coward and, and were banned. But I think some of your reporting showed that maybe it had to, something to also do with her kind of uh, being, a, being an advocate and an agitator for equal pay. So I'm curious kind of uh, what did you learn about Hope in, in your reporting and and what you think Hope's story tells us about uh, U.S. soccer and and its relationship with with the women's national team? Yeah, I mean, I would be very clear that U.S. soccer denies that that is why she was kicked off the team. And I think she was a thorn in the side of U.S. soccer, but there were other players who were also taking a stand against U.S. soccer. She and four other players in 2016 filed a gender discrimination complaint with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. So it wasn't just Hope kind of on a limb out on her own. And, you know, I'm sure your listeners, even the most casual uh, U.S. Women's National Team fans listening, are probably aware of some of the uh, (laughs) off-field issues that Hope Solo has had. So um, she wasn't exactly... uh, you know, choir girl or anything with right. the team. Um, but she is, she is sort of a fascinating character in that, you know, now she's been doing a lot of, she's actually a columnist for the guardian for this world cup. She's been doing BBC coverage. It seems like the international community has embraced her as sort of this commentator and this analyst of the sport. And in the U S she's sort of been shunned a little bit. Um, And it's kind of interesting because there's no disputing that she was the greatest goalkeeper that the women's game has ever seen. I mean, or at least, you know, in that conversation. And yet I think because of how divisive she's been and, you know, the way she was kicked off the team so unceremoniously, um, it kind of changes her perception depending who you talk to. So it's been really interesting to just kind of see her on the sidelines offering her take on everything that's been going on. I think she was kind of one of the first the women's national team has this this reputation and that was cultivated I think as your as your book shows in the 99ers you know we're going to be family friendly we're going to be a team that are we're going to be role models for young kids and this is not to hope say hope's not a role model but like she had some off-field behavior that wouldn't look too kindly on and she talked she you know she spoke out after games saying players were the swedish team were a bunch of cowards you know this is this yeah. is not the type of behavior that we'd come to expect from from the women's national team so it it does seem like she was also kind of a a figure that maybe in the men's game would we just kind of see as like a Mario Balotelli bad boy, but for whatever reason in the women's game, we're like, how dare you? <laughs> how dare you? You know, you, you are the girls are listening to this at home, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, her, her comment, her infamous comment that got her kicked off the team, which is that Sweden played like a bunch of cowards. Cristiano Ronaldo said something very similar about Iceland after uh, the Euro game where he said Iceland was a small-minded team because I I think he was getting at the same thing, that they weren't attacking enough or they, you know, they didn't come out to play enough. So, um, yeah, I mean, she's talked about that a lot, that she thinks uh, the sport has sort of embraced more outspoken women in soccer. And I do think we see it maybe a little more than we did in Hope Solo's heyday, um, you know, Sam Kerr on live TV telling her critics to suck it. <laughs> that was a memorable <laughs> moment that. from this tournament. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Megan Rapino is very outspoken as well. Um, yeah, I think that there's an evolution where it's okay that these are women athletes and they're 
kind of well-rounded people. They're not, you know, they don't fit into one neat little box. And um, there's no question that Hope was certainly a player that broke that mold early on. Looking ahead, you know, one of the big narratives coming out of this World Cup has been the increased investment in the women's game. Um, and I'm and I'm curious, you know, where when the when the w- women's team comes back from this World Cup, they're returning to the NWSL, the National Women's Soccer League. It's uh, we've tried to have two previous iterations of women's pro soccer; two have failed. This is the third iteration. It's now in its seventh season, and I, I'm curious, you know. What's the status of the NWSL? It seemed they lost their their TV partner, Lifetime, earlier this year. It seems like maybe rocky times are ahead. What? How's the league doing? And and uh, does that league have a future, or is its fate, you know, going to be the fate of the other two attempts at women's pro soccer? Yeah, I don't know if the situation is that dire. Where you know we should be talking about whether a third league is going to fold. I think this World Cup. Uh, is huge. I actually, um, I was surprised that the group stage ratings for Fox Sports, the U.S. broadcaster, is higher than it was in 2015. And that surprised me because the time zones are not as favorable. And it seems that there's some real momentum building in women's soccer from the 2015 tournament. I can say being here in France and having been in Canada four years ago, the press corps is much larger, which also surprised me. It's a lot easier to drive up to Canada than it is to, you know, cross the Atlantic Ocean. (laughs) So there definitely seems to be momentum in women's soccer. I think the NWSL and having a league in the United States, really, it's about capitalizing on that momentum. Is the league in a position to you know, draw sponsorships and, you know, fans, uh, broadcasters. I do have questions about that. Um, But I think that the potential is there. And, you know, part of it is dependent on how far the U.S. goes. I mean, this is a great start to the tournament. But if the U.S. faces France in the quarterfinal, which at this point now that they've won the group, that's what it looks like is going to happen for the U.S., if the U.S. gets knocked out in the quarterfinal, that definitely changes sort of the potential to capitalize on it. So I think we kind of have to see how this World Cup goes. I mean, it's going to have a big effect on the league. It always does. And this is how you bring people in to women's soccer. They get really excited about a World Cup and then they want to learn more about these players and see more of them. So so no pressure on the U.S. That, women, right? <laughs> yeah. Only, uh, only the future of the sport is resting on their shoulders. Yeah. <laughs> It's interesting you talk about time zones because it seems to me when the time zones play out so that the matches are during work hours, Mm. Eastern time, people love to just kind of zone out at work or like sneak away and watch. You have like a a spreadsheet kind of popped up on the corner of your desk where you're really watching the game. Like 12 and three o'clock is perfect for East Coast time. Um, So yeah, bringing it back to 2019, Caitlin, you mentioned, uh, we talked about it earlier before you joined us that the USA-France quarterfinal is looming. I mean, we don't want to overlook Spain, but, uh, you know, as close as you are with the U.S. team, do you, how would this team be defeated? I mean, do you, or do you think France is a team to fear? Yeah. I mean, if we're looking at their quality, there's no question that France is a team that can beat the U.S., I think the question that I've had about France, I think everyone has had about France, and I still have about France, is 
do they have the mentality? Because France has never had a talent problem. They've always been a really talented team. It's just when they get to these big tournaments, they sort of crumble under the pressure. Right. And it hasn't happened it's yet. Very French. But <laughs> well, they used I to say that about wonder. the Spain men, Spanish yeah. men, before they true. started this winning everything. Yeah. <laughs> well, you have to wonder if being the host, does that add more pressure or does that kind of relieve any pressure for them or give, or give them momentum? I think it's still kind of too early to tell. I know that the first game really sent a signal and everyone was like, wow, the, you know, this France team looks really good. And then they haven't really lived up to that since. I mean, they've, they've been good. I don't know if it's been quite the resounding performances that we saw. And with the U.S., I think they are still really vulnerable on the counterattack because the U.S. is just so attacking. I mean, yeah. that is their identity. We are going to drop a bunch of goals on you. And, you know, we might concede some, but we're going to score more because we have, you know, the best wingers in the world, the best strikers in the world. And our bench would be you know, contending for a World Cup if they were a separate team. The so, best defense is a good offense. Supposedly, but if we go four years ago, the U.S. went 540 minutes without conceding a goal. They talked then about how defense wins championships. And now it's a very different mindset and a very different approach. It's all about the attack. It's all about getting forward. I mean, Crystal Dunn is a left back who is nominally a defender. She's going to spend most of the game in the other team's half, uh, giving the U.S. a numerical advantage. Kelly O'Hara on the right is going to be bombing forward. Um, hey, modern I mean, fullbacks. It, yeah. Well, she was, was a striker was, in college. Exactly. Um, generally, the defenders are converted attackers. Uh yeah, I mean, against Thailand, it was Thailand, but there was a point where I think Abby, Abby Dalkemper was the only player playing defense. <laughs> so it, it's very much an attack first team, and that's fine against certain opponents, but there are going to be teams that are going to expose them. That's exactly what happened in 2016 in the Olympics when the U.S. got knocked out by Sweden in the quarterfinal for their earliest exit. It was really them just getting exposed for being too far up the field and, you know, a couple quick passes and some speed, the whole back line is beat. So I think that's how you beat the U.S. I think France certainly has the quality to do it. I think mentality can be the difference. And if you're looking at that, it's hard to bet against the U.S. Yeah. I don't know how much of else of the tournament you've been watching over there, but outside of U.S. and France, who seem to be the clear-cut favorites, obviously, as we mentioned, are set to clash in the quarterfinals. Is there a team, a dark horse, uh, that's in the round of 16 that's advanced to the knockout round that we should keep an eye on? Well, I have to admit with, you know, traveling from city to city, going to all the media availabilities, I haven't watched as much of the other games as I wanted. Mm -hmm. I know that I felt really good about Australia and England coming into this tournament, and I feel less <laughs> good about them after seeing <laughs> the group stage. So, I mean, that's that's the fun of a World Cup. Like, you don't really know what's going to happen. It's going to be chaos. We've had some results that have shocked me. Uh, Italy, I did not expect their performances. Um, so, I mean, that's why the games are played, right? Yeah. <laughs> you don't win them on paper, and that's what makes it fun. In other words, put all your money on China? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would not do that, but I won't tell you how to spend your money. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I think the I think the other team that caught my eye was the Netherlands. I thought they played really well against Canada, and you know, outside of the U.S., probably have maybe two of the th- top three attackers, you know, in the in the world. Yeah, absolutely. They're a really good team, really fun team to watch, and also just being here in France, like I'd say the U.S. has the strongest fan contingent. And I actually checked with FIFA. U.S. fans are number two behind French fans, but the Netherlands fans are crazy. They <laughs> show up and they're dancing and they're marching. And, you In know, orange. I'm kind of hoping, yeah, I'm hoping there's some way U.S. Netherlands can end up in the final or something. Oh, that'd be that fun. Would just be, that, yeah, that would be so much fun. All right, Caitlin, thank you so much for joining us so late uh, in between your 50,000 different things you're doing out there. Uh, yeah, we'll Venmo you some money for a, a glass of wine. And once it, <laughs> you can find Caitlin on Twitter at Caitlin, C A I T L I N, Murr, M U R R. And once again, her book is called The National Team The Inside Story of the Women Who Changed Soccer. Thank you so much, Caitlin. Merci. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Au revoir. Au revoir. All right, that wraps up this edition of the. Women's World Cup Ringer FC. I think we'll be back on around the final, which is July 7th. Hopefully the U.S. is in it. Uh, I don't know. We might even do an emergency post-USA-France quarterfinal. I feel like I, we keep talking about USA-France and they're going to lose to Spain now. <laughs> what, what a disaster <laughs> we, that would be. Yeah, you can't. It's the, you looked past the whatever game and yeah, now you're, yeah, we can't, it's, we a can't tra- take, it's a trap game. Let's not take Spain for granted. But in any event, as, as the matches get more important and bigger, we'll definitely record again. Andrew will join me again. Thank you so much for joining us, Andrew. Uh, people should read, if they haven't already, the profile that Andrew wrote of Lindsay Horan on TheRinger.com. Great website. Uh, anything else you want to plug real quick? Um, definitely definitely read the Lindsay Horan piece. And if you're into podcasts, definitely check out, uh, just subscribe to ESPN 30 for 30 podcasts. I, I produced a, a show called Backpass that tells the story about the rise and fall of the first women's pro soccer league, the WUSA. So the league that got started after the 99 Women's World Cup and kind of gets at some of these issues of equal treatment, equal funding. Why is it that uh, uh, these women keep needing to fight for what they deserve? Yeah. Uh, I guess we have a minute left here. Let's just quickly say the Copa America is happening. <laughs> the Gold Cup is happening. Oh, man. AFCON, African Cup of Nations starts have you, tomorrow. Did you watch the USMNT game? I missed it. The Oh, US play Guyana, right? Yeah. You know what? I turned it on for a second. One thing I have to say watching that match is I kind of like, I mean, the USMNT and the women's team are both wearing their new kits, I guess. And they're like yeah. bright fire engine red. Right. I guess, the red one. Mm-hmm. And so Guyana was wearing bright yellow. So it was really like a ketchup mustard game, which I thought was interesting. <laughs> yeah. I didn't, the game didn't hold my interest. US won 4-0. 4-0. Um, but yeah, they haven't of, looked great this, uh, the last few games. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy how many players on the I mean this goes back to equal pay I guess and equal treatment how many players on the US women's team are like household names yeah and I'm looking at the US men's lineup and I'm like Pulisic I mean this could speak to my own ignorance but Tim Ream Zardes and yeah. then it's like who the hell are the rest of these guys I mean from? that's like the big the big thing is there's you have the you have Christian Pulisic you yeah. got a few younger guys Tyler Adams who's who's hurt and not playing in this team but then it's a bunch of old guys and then a bunch of U20s, right? Yeah. There's there's not a lot of... Star power. Star power. And like there's that generation of players that we all thought were going to be, you know, where's the Breck Shays of the world, right? You know, all these players that we thought were going to be that next generation of men's national team players who never really panned out. Yeah. And there's a, there's a talent gap on this team that 
is going to be revealed, I think, in yeah. the Gold Cup. Well, who knows? If if the USMNT somehow advance far in the Gold Cup, we can talk about that next episode. Uh, but yeah, until then, thank you, Andrew, again. And we'll see you when we see you. Peace. Peace.